this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. In today's program, I'm joined again by my colleagues from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group of the Society for the Advancement of Consulting to discuss the topic of value-added supply chain relationships. So joining me today, we have uh, Lisa Anderson, President of LMA Consulting, joining us from the Los Angeles metro area in the US. Welcome, Lisa. Hello, good to be here. And Elizabeth Warren, President of Dialed In Partners, also from the Los Angeles metro area. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me today. You're very welcome. So um, to kick off, I'll just make a few comments here to set set the scene, see what we're going to be talking about. So over uh, recent years, I guess, with the COVID pandemic and the, the war in Ukraine, uh, the geopolitical tensions with the China with China, which has been perceived in the US, and the impact of Brexit, which has been perceived more here in Europe. Everybody has kind of become much more conscious and aware of the fact that the way we live and what we consume is heavily uh, dependent on the correct functioning of supply chains. So it's amazing, you know, maybe five, six years ago, where people would ask me, what do you do for a living? And uh, I'd say, I work in supply chain, and they'd kind of go, what's that? And and now that just doesn't that just doesn't happen because all of these events have put supply chain in uh, the mouths of politicians and news reporters and the average man and woman in the street. So they're all now very keenly aware of how these uh, supply chains involve multiple independent partners, um, producers, manufacturers, distributors, freight forwarders, logistics service providers, and so on. And these are all working in concert and collaboration. And more often than not, they're doing that across international borders to keep the show on the road, uh, so to speak. So as a consequence, then, um, these supply chains and what we've come to expect in terms of service and supply depend on the quality of the relationships between all of those and among all of those independent players. So in, in effect... Uh, businesses are competing on the basis of the quality of their supply chain relationships and therefore how they establish them, how they manage them, how they nurture them is of paramount importance to how they actually sustain the competitiveness of their businesses into the future. But the thing is, these relationships, they'll only perdure if they if they add value for the for the customer at the end of the chain. Um, and it's the, to the nature and the type and the quality of these relationships that we're going to turn our attention in this conversation today. So um, maybe I'll start with you, Lisa. So in, in your business, and I guess, especially with your with your clients, what kind of supply chain relationships do you, do you commonly see that they have and that they depend on to compete? That they can depend on to compete? Well, there are, uh, you know, many supply chain relationships because they they're dependent on critical materials and components from uh, suppliers. They're also dependent upon, uh, you know, uh, transportation providers, uh, truckers, um, etc., uh, to ship to customers. They are dependent upon um, offload suppliers. So, like, you know, over, you know, you could call them like outsourced suppliers, but it's really more like they can't, they don't have enough uh, capacity to meet the demand. But it's a temporary. I consider an offload more of a temporary, or a um, you know, like a, they're not like necessarily offloading it to another country or whatever. They're they're just trying to fulfill volume, so they're um, responsible or dependent on some of those folks. And you know, some folks are dependent on um, 
what you would just call a supplier, right? For um, for product uh, that might be coming from China or wherever. But basically, those those are some of the ones that pop to. Uh, they're also dependent on um, uh, you know IT uh, supply chain technologies. Um, ERP type providers. Yeah, so this is where, like in 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 the old days, I guess the 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 ultimate expression of this maybe might have been the Ford Motor Company back in the twenties and thirties of the last century, where they owned the rubber plantations and the iron ore mines, and they did all the metal manufacture and the assembly and the retail, and they owned everything, and the cleaning lady, yeah. the cleaning lady, and the, everything everything was was in house. Whereas today. Um, businesses are disintegrated in that manner so they've yep. of course lots of non non-essential so you've described yeah. you've described a few interesting ones there which is relationship that you would have with a, say a supplier of components um it uh providers who s- support your business um logistic service providers who move your um your raw materials coming in and maybe your finished goods going out and manage your distribution for you as well. So th- there's all sorts of um, relationships there. I mean, might just. Yeah, yeah you're right. Three PLs. They can yeah. easily have a three PL or something like that. Also, you brought up a really important one and that's your suppliers, suppliers, um, and maybe your supplier, 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 because uh, that's come up a lot recently because you may be dependent on um Let's say you've you think you've diversified away from China, let's say, but you haven't because if you're dependent on a critical material that's mined in China, you're still in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a, that's a big issue both from a business continuity point of view and and risk, and um, also from uh, you know governance and social responsibility and protecting your your reputation because you may be happy that your immediate supplier is is compliant, but you don't necessarily know where they're being supplied from or from whom they're being they're being supplied um so that that's a kind of aspect i think of supply chain that a lot a lot of companies are digging into more because they're reporting on their their emissions or their esg compliance or they're just concerned about business continuity so um that's that's a really good really good point um we might, we might come back and delve into the nature of some of those relationships that you highlighted there and see what kind sure. of what kind of um um attributes they have and how they are differentiated from each other and how companies might go about managing them on on those basis um elizabeth there may be the same question uh, for you with your clients what kind of relationships with partners in the supply chain thinking of it in the wider sense are, are they working with collaborating with and dependent on in order to compete um, effectively. Well, Patrick, I think that this, you know, it goes along the same line of what Lisa mentioned, um, you know, looking at um, your entire supply chain, whether it's from your providers of raw materials, if you're a manufacturer, or if you're a service provider, you still have you know, um, services such as IT or design, you know, even a design service that could be outsourced. Um, I was just talking uh, last week with um, a global manufacturer who has uh, some of their supplies, some of their um, designs outsourced uh, to Asia. So as they are looking at uh, doing some of their electrical designs, those aren't even done in-house. They're looking at having those done, um, you know, outsourced as well. So when there are issues with uh, another country, whether it's a tariff, whether it's a geopolitical issue, whether it's a vendor or supplier issue, 
when you are doing outsourcing for even things such as IT or design services, there you could end up um, with some sort of a, a legal issue, uh, looking at trademark issues, looking at um, whether it's um, something that might be uh, part of a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what was coming up with uh, my client that I was discussing is uh, they they were in a lawsuit with this with a it, their, their design ended up being part of a lawsuit with another company, and they did not realize that what they were getting from this vendor was something that was uh, part of a lawsuit with another supplier. So I think that the legal challenges uh, are something that you need to take into consideration as well. Not mm-hmm. not just the uh, vendor relationships, but also the legalities of where that could run as well. And this is something that I had not thought about until talking with this client last week. Yeah, it's interesting you you draw attention as well to supply chain relationships that are more service oriented, where there's not necessarily anything tangible moving over um, land and and sea, but rather a a service uh, which can be digitalized. And it's interesting, I think, when you look at the the figures with all the turmoil that there has been in the world over the, the last number of years and trade volumes have kind of stagnated or maybe not 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 grown a lot on the other side the um exchange of services and digital services that is still growing quite uh, quite strongly in a in a globalized sense so you know we've been talking as well about you know i suppose a little a little facetiously about the end of globalization or life after globalization it's not really that it's just a different form of globalization but that reconfiguration seems to be affecting a lot more uh, the tangible stuff that 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 moves over land and and uh, and sea rather than the digital stuff, which is much more much more mobile and much more diversified and much more robust in the face of disruptions in the in the physical world. So uh, I was in, in, interested, um, uh, Lisa. I might might just ask you uh, t- to think of some of those relationships that you see and. Just maybe characterize them in terms. There's maybe three dimensions we could characterize them on. One is the the timing of them. How long do they last? What what do they look like over time? The other is maybe the complexity of them, um, in terms of how many interactions and at what different levels. And then the third dimension might be the um, the power balance in the in the relationships. So if you if you if you picked one one of those and maybe just thought about it on on those three dimensions, what do you what do you see and what what does that what does that tell you? Well, if we pick like the suppliers as an example, um, I think it very much depends on which client we're talking about because like if you have a um, so like I have a client who supports. Um, Tesla, as an example, and so you know it depends on where you are in the chain, right? So if I if I if Tesla was my these client, guys, these guys supply some part or whatnot to Tesla, is that it? Yeah, yes, a piece, okay. and so like or well, anyway, they supply they supply Tesla, um, and so you know Tesla is the big guy, is my point. So like similarly in aerospace, like I've typically worked for the person, the the company that supplies Boeing, which is in a better position than the company that supplies the company that I've been working with, because there's a lot of tiers in aerospace as well. So it depends on which tier you're talking about is where your position is very different. But in in this case, like the time of the relationship with um, 
the suppliers that um, supply the products or the components and the uh, materials that we need to produce to supply a whole bunch of people. Um, the they've had we've had some long term relationships. The the uh, client has had long term relationships with many of these suppliers because. Here's the other thing, though, is I think it depends on who your client is and their how they do business. But generally speaking, this client has done a good job of um, getting, you know, uh, uh, being a um, good supplier if you, or being a good uh, customer uh, to their suppliers. So they've had long, longer term relationships, although they have been. Uh, they recently, in the last couple of years, did start up a new relationship with a with a um, supplier in India, uh, and so. You know, the shorter term relationships to have less history, so you can't rely upon them as much necessarily, um, to your point. Um, and then from from the uh, so, complexity. So say, see if I understand this correctly. So th- okay. this client of yours has suppliers, one of which is, say, is the, is the Indian one you mentioned. And yep. at the same time, they, your client is supplying into Tesla. Is yep. That- Correct. That's okay. true. Um, they supply a bunch of other people too in um, right. so uh, food in food business, but basically they um, they do. Uh, yes, that's correct. So the relationship they have with with Tesla, they're supplying, say, a part or a component to Tesla. Do, do, are they doing that on an ongoing basis, or is it from time? Well, to- it's a newer it's a newer relationship in this case. So basically, they have they have um, they have some repeat orders. Um, so that's a good thing. But my point of bringing up like a Tesla is it's just that they're like a larger company. So it's similar to my aerospace client that supplies Boeing is the larger companies tend to be able to more dictate, if you will, um, what kind of service they're looking for. Um, and that typically is what happens when you're supplying or, you know, in the distribution side, if you're supplying a Walmart, you know, Walmart has metrics. They look at metrics and they, uh, yeah. you know, they establish how well you're doing. Yeah. So my point is just that if you have customers that are like the larger, um, larger companies like that, they have, they have from a balance of power point of view, tend to, it tends to be that they have less power if you're supplying somebody who's bigger that can afford to say, you know, I'm going to look elsewhere, like a Walmart or a Boeing or yeah. or a Tesla. So you have your balance of power is not necessarily as good. However, those clients do want high quality service. And I what I'm seeing is, is that since the um, pandemic, they are more willing, and this is a general statement, it really does not have to do with Tesla, but um, overall, they're more willing to pay for um, high quality suppliers that where they can be have more reliable service um, overall. So that's that I that I am seeing happen. However, it doesn't mean that they still don't have more power in general. Um, now, to your point, yes, this this. Uh, Client has in-house manufacturing and they have outsourced some of what they could do in-house to India. So I guess it gives them a little bit of a more powerful position in the sense that they could produce it on their own. However, then they would have to order more materials. It's not so easy. They don't have the people. So it's more complications. Uh, but they that that is one of the suppliers that they have. So so I guess then it's, it's easy to see then there are there are supply chain relationships and there are supply chain relationships. So you may have some that are long term and also constant that you're interacting with your partner all the time. Um, right. 
some of them then you might be interacting with a partner maybe on an operational level and then others say for with a logistic service provider you maybe you have a strategic alliance and you're interacting on frontline level middle management and strategic management um level uh, and then others you might have and they're just kind of ad hoc from, from yeah no it's very true like basically in, in all of my clients i mean they have some key key suppliers uh that they keep track of um you know they have frequent meetings, not just operationally, but, you know, at a more strategic level um, so that they can like put together like, I don't know, Kanban programs where they supply inventory and they put together, you know, when I used to be a a vice president of operations and supply chain, we actually did a lot on this topic. We would work with our suppliers and help them like develop new materials that would be a win-win so they could um, improve their, um, uh, you know, their cost structure and we could improve ours. Uh, so we had more of a win-win margin, but we also made it a win for the customer in terms of the capabilities. So mm-hmm. we did a lot of a lot of work in that respect. And actually, from that point of view, I'll tell you that we had a supplier and that also is kind of related to this equation because from a power position, we had suppliers that were in a weaker power position and some that were in a stronger power position. And it had to do with how big they were. Like, for example, we had a large adhesive supplier. They were in the power position because they were big. Mm. However, we kept um, a, uh, it's all dependent on the relationships because we, we kept a strong relationship with this supplier and um, would, you know, collaborated, were up front with them, would purchase from them. And so when, when uh, that, material went on allocation, we were still supplied material, even though we were in a weaker position. And it's because of our relationship. We had that same thing happen with a backup supplier that we used for 20% of our volume, even though they were more expensive, um, because we worked with them proactively. And, uh, you know, they, when, when something happened with the ports, so Elizabeth would come into their into play there. But when something happened with the ports, our backup supplier was able to supply us, even though they had a bunch of customers that wanted them to supply them. But it's because we had been buying twenty percent from them all along, and because we had been working with them uh, on you know win win kind of solutions. So I don't know if that helps, Patrick, but like that that's what that's the ideal position. What I've noticed though is is that clients are. Well, I guess you could say struggling, but they're struggling to like, they just don't have like, there's been so much volume Mm. and so few resources that they truly are struggling to keep up. So I would say that they aren't doing as much as I'm describing as when I was in that VP of operations position. Um, But a lot of them are really good. So they would do it, but they truly just don't have like the resources. So they're actually bringing in extra help to like put together some of the analysis to get some of these um, things, uh, you know, I, items done on time. With that said, my client did purchase a hat with the Russia-Ukraine war. When that started happening, they had they had gotten some um, shoot, I forgot what it was, but a commodity from the from the from that region, and they ended up placing a buy, and we were able to provide the uh, forecast and the analysis using a SIOP process, and they were able to buy ahead um, for. Um, for like a year and they were able to get better pricing and secure their supply. So they, they are doing, so don't get me wrong. They are doing, they are doing smart things. It's just, they don't have as much resources to put into it all because there's just such, I don't know, like the pandemic has wiped my clients out in terms of their resources and their volumes. So uh, Elizabeth, what would be 
a good example from from your world of a of a of an important supply chain relationship and looking at it from the point of view of um the the power balance the duration and the complexity what does it what does it look like Patrick, that's a, a great question. And, and um, I, I have a tendency to work more with transportation providers. Uh, I do have a few clients that uh, have those long-term uh, complex relationships like Lisa ex- uh, described. But, uh, you know, looking at the long-term relationships with the transportation providers, uh, you certainly want to have an opportunity to discuss what your growth opportunities are going to be and what your your expectations are uh so you can build that um build that level of of trust that your suppliers are going to be able to provide what it is that you're going to need in the future so i think having a uh, communication and having an open discussion an open level of dis- of uh communication to be able to um in in order to uh, be able to express the expectations that you're going to have for growth um, and be, for your providers then to be able to meet that growth is going to be very, very important. But um, I, to be honest with you, I really don't work on the the level that Lisa does with those kind of relationships. Mine are are much more uh, transportation related. Yeah, I, I encountered a very good example of that um in in recent years and a good example because it's not that common uh, relationship between a manufacturer and a logistics service provider whereby they were interacting every day on the operational level in terms of yeah, we're sending a load up to you will you send this to me i need this that and the other so they're interacting all the time on the on that level but also as well they interacted on the the middle management level in terms of projects that they were working on um jointly and they saw each other on a on a regular basis. And then they were also putting their heads together at the top level in terms of strategically what's happening in your world and what's happening in our world and where are the mutual advantages. So there were three levels of contact. The duration was was long and the power balance it was uneven in favor of the of the manufacturer, but they brought a kind of enlightened self-interest uh, to the relationship. And that was one that I witnessed, and I've not witnessed many. Um, like that, but it was very successful for for both parties. Maybe come come back to you, um, Lisa. Given all, so you have these three attributes or variables: so the complexity, the power balance, and the duration. And you mentioned about how people struggle to have the the, the resources to manage um, yeah. the supply chain relationships. So, what would be a schema? Because everybody has you know a, a full full plethora of types so if you were yeah. saying i have a i have a supply chain team here and there's say six of us in this department and we've got to manage all of these supply chain relationships what kind of way would you structure that given those different parameters that you're looking at there well you know i was thinking about it as i'm answering i was thinking about that client i was telling you about well we had a um and I always call my clients we, so <laughs> just so you know. So we had a um, critical relationship with a um, with some offload suppliers, but mainly because we we truly could not support enough of the volume to meet our um, sales goals, and so we needed to offload volume. But it's not that simple because it was a complex product. You asked about complexity; it's a complex product that required some um, suppliers that could handle this this complexity. Um, and actually um, had enough room and there was like a lot of different variables here. But basically, because of the complexity, they were limited in their offload suppliers. And so 
um, they did, they have a um, limited staff, as I mentioned, but they did dedicate uh, someone because this supplier is, or this client is progressive. So they dedicated one of their um, good um, sourcing, purchasing type folks to this project. And they also dedicated a team uh, to the offload um, project, if you will. Um, so they they took a couple of people out of operations because they have, like I said, engineered to order. So they needed to have enough folks on this team. It was still struggling a bit. And so they ended up like dedicating a um, one of their really strong leaders to help um, also move this forward. So that that's what was needed uh, to make this happen. So the reason I brought that up is it kind of relates to your question because they ended up like reallocating people because they weren't able to hire necessarily uh, someone for the position at least quickly enough. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they're trying to hire uh, someone to replace their key um, uh, purchase. The person who orders, I don't remember his title, but he basically orders from a lot of these key suppliers um, and they're trying to find backup support, et cetera, for him. And that's been a challenge because they're located um, in an area that just doesn't have a lot of this type of talent. So it, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds like in the practical sense, you've got to kind of look at the full panoply of supply chain relationships you've got and kind of triage them. And yep, same. Exactly. Exactly. So shorter way to say that, uh, Patrick. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I got carried away with my story. So these ones, these ones here, we're really going to nurture and we're going to look after and we're going to do what it takes. Um, these ones here, we'll just deal with them as kind of transactional. And maybe there's yep. some in the middle that we give a kind of a, an intermediate attention. Yeah, exactly. You do a triage and yeah. you uh, yeah. look at where you dedicate your resources. And also, I am seeing clients that are... Um, utilizing some outside resources like consultants uh, to help support them um, and which, you know, which we've done. So we've like provided them with information that they can use um, to meet with these uh, suppliers and have participated in getting the offload team like organized. So in addition to allocating talent, doing triage to your point, they're also looking at how do they supplement the resources they have in house um, with um consultants with like it uh, depends what do, you, what do you what do you need and what do you have access to yeah okay um believe it or not uh, the, the 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 clock is is running and we're coming to the end so maybe um elizabeth any final um parting words of of wisdom before we wrap up well i i think that the two of you have come up with some great suggestions And I just want to add on and wrap up by saying that fostering those relationships with your suppliers and your vendors at every level is really critical. And and that's uh, just um, adding on to what you were saying, Patrick. Um, Instead of just having your one level of contact, uh, having a relationship across the board with executive level, um, the the junior C-suite, the the C-suite, and then um, also with your project managers and, and even across your entire, uh, the, the entire team um, really would uh, work toward building your relationship with them, you know, and a long-term relationship with your suppliers for the future. Excellent. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that for today. So thanks to Lisa. Thanks to Elizabeth. And thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoyed this episode, you can find a full series of probably approaching about 130 episodes of uh, Interlinks at this stage on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast and other major podcast platforms. So until next time, keep well and stay safe.